Bitch from Pakistan, what up? Hi guys, this is Misha. Welcome to Bitch from Pakistan. I have Baden on the phone with me today. Hi. <laughs> so, um, basically, Baden is my best friend forever um, from college, and she's actually even been and uh, visited me in Dubai. So, mm-hmm. me and her have a very special friendship, and there was a story that when I was staying with her in New York for two weeks, there was a story she told me, and I literally cannot forget this story. So, this is this story is going to be the start of this episode, and it's going to go wherever it wants to go from here. But, so when we were in your, when we were in your um, apartment, Baden, you said something yeah. like, you and your mom were having a fight, and your mom looked at you, and... Um, she was like, Baden, you're crazy. And you're crazy because you have a clit. And you looked at her and you went, no, mom, you're crazy because you don't have one. (laughs) (laughs) And I literally think about this story so much, Baden. Like, I don't even think you understand because... I'm dead. Because one... That's so freaking funny. <laughs> Two. It's so insane. It's so insane. And it's it's insane because <laughs> the way that you guys are even fighting about that and the fact that it's a joke is funny. But second, literally no one in the U.S. would know about, like, a funny story like that and laugh. People are so, like, out of... It, like so in their bubble here that they probably don't even realize that when they come across women like you that you're the first generation of women and your fam- family to have a clit and enjoy <laughs> sex <laughs> right exactly and and i think that's like important dude like we're literally in 2021 in america and you're probably the first woman in your family that knows what it feels like to have sex for fun and pleasure and to make you feel good and self-empowered. Whereas everyone before, like with your mom, it was for function. It was to reproduce. And I feel like, I guess I kind of wanted to know what your opinion was on that. Like for me as well, like my mom, I know for a fact probably didn't have sex for pleasure. Like it was probably more because she was forced into marriage and forced to have kids. Um, but genital mutilation doesn't really occur in Pakistan, but it does in um, Somalia. So I guess yes. I wanted to ask, like, how how you just felt, like, being that first generation of woman for yourself with that. I know that's, like, a kind of a weird thing to ask you, but I don't know. I just feel like this whole concept, especially for, like, Eastern women with sex and stuff, like... This entire conversation, I feel like, is huge. It's so huge. And I do think, for, like, for people that have never heard about it before, they're like, well, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> but, okay, so basically some background. In, I'm from Somalia. Well, both my parents were born and raised in Somalia. I was raised in the States. And in Somalia, there's a tradition of genital mutilation where women from, I mean, you can be as young as, like, seven. Usually you're around 7 to 12, um, women will literally cut the clitoris of a young girl and sew up. It sounds, it, it sounds intense, but and then they'll sew up the girl's vagina and then let it heal and then cut it up and then the girl literally never has a clit for the rest of her life. And the purpose of that is to literally just stifle a girl's sexuality and 
just to like reinforce the fact that sex is not for pleasure. It's not for women. It's for men's pleasure. It's to procreate and that's it. And my mom, my mom is very strict and mission is all about this. <laughs> and we had a lot of issues when I was in college because obviously like I'm first generation and something that me and Misha connected a lot over was the fact that well, she's from Pakistan, I'm from Somalia, we both come from Muslim backgrounds, and we both had to sort of navigate living in a very Western environment, but still having to, like, uphold Eastern ideals, and so my mom would, would joke and be like, you're wild because you have a clip, we should have, like, done this to you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, no, like, you're insane and you're mad because you don't have one. Because you never got that release, like. <laughs> right, I'd be, like, I'd be mad too if I didn't have a clip. <laughs> oh my god, like, that's so insane. Literally my favorite story. Um, I know. It's, I forgot that I even told you that. I have not forgotten, dude. That was one that never left my brain. And it's not not because it's fun, only just because it's funny, but it literally, like I said, it points towards such an important thing. The, the tradition that you're talking about, I had a question. In Somalia, is that done because of culture or is that done more because of religion? Or do you think it's religious influence on culture? Like, what do you think that comes from? It's definitely 100% culture. It's, it has nothing to do with religion. There's nowhere in the Quran, at least to my knowledge, that states that that's okay. Like, it's totally cultural. And what's interesting is it, it's mostly pushed by women. Like, women, like, elderly women are the ones that push for it, for this to happen. It just shows how, like, deeply ingrained misogyny is in Somalia. You know, and, and they, do it, they do it for the men, but it's really the women that push for it, which is super sad. Wait, that's actually so crazy that you mentioned that it's women pushing it. Because I feel like for a lot of women, kind of what I was saying, um, what I like to think is Muslim women have been programmed to think that they have to uphold the reputation of our religion and do it to a point where it lets men do whatever they want. And so because of that, you have women who don't protect their younger women. You have women who are trying to keep the younger women in line so that they can just keep surviving and keep going and not cause issues for anybody in the family or their husbands or their dads or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Also, and I don't know if you heard about this, but this was actually recent in the U.S. Like, what we're talking about right now, like, yeah, me and you as individuals in the U.S., like, having gone to an American school and, and, and having... Uh, met each other at a sorority like we we kind of lived that experience in america but what i'm what we're talking about is not far removed at all because there was actually a doctor i'm unsure if she was somali or not but there was a doc a doctor in chicago that was actually performing female genital mutilation surgeries like under the table for for the muslim community like in chicago Oh, my God. A few years ago. So it's not even like this stuff isn't in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. license? Huh? I think she, she did. she license? I mean, I think so. I think she got arrested. And I think if she got arrested, like, she must have gone that. Because that stuff is not legal here. Right. At all. Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That in itself is just... Um, <laughs> yeah. You're right. 
somebody else heard that, they'd be like, I mean, so many people don't even know that that happens. I mean, they don't, but I think that's why, like, it's important because, you know, a lot of the people that we went to school with, because me and you, like, we met at Ohio State, and me and you really, like, stuck together. We had to have each other's backs, and... You know, there's there's so many people around us that would have no idea the kind of conversations me and you would be having. There's so many people that probably hit you up now that you're a model in New York from Ohio State. They probably hit you up and they're probably going to talk to you and they probably have no idea about this aspect of your life that you've had to navigate um, and what kind of what differences could come from that. Me, myself, like I find I really, really struggle validating my experience when it comes to sex like I have a hard time making myself feel okay with it just because of the way that we've grown up with it kind of what you said like sex is for men um sex is not for women I was kind of even taught that growing up because I remember being told that oh in the Quran it's written if you do everything that your husband wants you get brownie points from God so they yeah. Really? Yes. Oh my god, like that's psychotic. That's basically saying that if your husband asks for something in bed, you should give it to him because God will like will will reward you. I know. <sighs> like that it how does that shape young women to view themselves? Like that opens up not only like uh, really affects their sexuality in a negative way, but they have no idea except like you, you basically train them to be subservient to your husband in every way. And then you have young women who are getting raped and think that that's normal and who get sexually abused and think that's normal. Like, and it builds literally a foundation for domestic violence in itself by conditioning women to think like that. Not only that, but the fact that, I mean, besides that conversation surrounding sex, I was indoctrinated with the idea of just, like, sex is bad. If you have sex, it diminishes your worth as a, as a woman. If you're not a virgin anymore, you're not, you know, valuable. You're not worthy of marriage. You're not worthy of respect. My mom used to tell me, like, once a man sleeps with you, he's not going to respect you. He's not going to want anything to do with you. It's, to this day, it's completely screwed up my perception of intimacy, of sex. I, I don't even know how to... I, I'm still struggling how to be in a healthy romantic relationship, which is what we were just talking about. Yeah, this. and I think that's hard because we're in between, like, our parents' generation where it was kind of, like, structured, arranged marriages, kind mm-hmm. of, where, like, families knew each other and arranged those marriages. And so you kind of married who you married and you made that you made that shit work. But we're part of a generation where we're trying to marry our best friends. And so when you're now adding, like trying to get to know someone as a best friend, and then you have all of these kind of outdated um, mentalities about how you're supposed to approach your sexuality, which is one of the biggest parts in romantic relationships and the things that help them keep going and things that can stop them um, from continuing, that it's so hard to kind of navigate that. And... I've also struggled similarly like you because I had something that my mom's ex-husband used to tell me all the time. And I've actually said this to so many of my friends. And every time I've told, every time I've said this, they're just like, damn, that really took a toll on you. You bring it up all the time. But my um, mom's ex-husband, like he wasn't even my dad, but he would try to condition me and say things like, 
oh, um, I just want you to know that if you ever like date a man and you sleep with him, he's never going to marry you. Men will not marry you once they have sex with you. So in my head, I just thought that like every person I fell in love with, like eventually I'd, I'd break up with them and I'd have to become celibate. And then whoever I met and stayed celibate with, that's who I would end up marrying. Like it even, it even like warped my relationships from oh like when I'm younger I can do it and when I'm older maybe I have to stop doing it so men take me more seriously you know what I mean it like makes you just not authentically connect with people and I think it's also harder because Muslim communities in the U.S. are are kind of similar to what our parents have said you know they kind of do perpetuate that mentality still but but we're also still dating where it's not as clear like those rules are not as clear some muslim boys act like that some brown guys act like that some of them don't exactly it, yeah and then it's like how do you know what type of guy is, is which you know yeah like you have the brown guys that are like oh yeah like you're my best friend doesn't like it doesn't matter and then they'll stay with them for years and then get married and then you have the brown guys that date girls for knowing that they're not going to take them serious and then go and get their parents to find them a girl like once they're yeah. done you know what I, you, you know that phenomena 100 percent. it's very similar with somali men like i think and, and and like well i'm pretty sure it's the same with pakistanis the culture and like the community is so tight-knit that everyone knows your business right and so if you were dating a somali guy and let's say you were intimate with him or dating him people would find out and then and then nobody would take the relationship seriously nobody would see you as like of life material, nobody would think that it would turn into, like, a serious relationship, and I think that's a huge part of why I've avoided dating Somali guys, because it's like, I just don't trust that I can be intimate with them and, and get away with it, you know, and not even necessarily intimate physically, but emotionally, and because our cultures are so based on, like, you know, arranged marriages and stuff like that, my mom used to tell me, you can't go on a date unless, like, your, your dad is there. Like literally. <laughs> like literally, I mean, a lot of Muslim cultures are still like that. I mean, like I, like, I know, I know you. Yeah, like I grew up in Dubai. I grew up in a Muslim country, so that stuff, like chaperone dates, was for sure happening. My mom used to say when she was on the phone with a guy, her dad or her mom would be on the other line. Um, I mean, like, I believe that a hundred percent. Like, exactly. no doubt, like, there's just so much change between generations between like our parents and us that it. It just makes it like a very, very difficult experience to validate. Um, and kind of like what you said, that's kind of why I don't date Pakistani Muslim men. Sometimes I'm like, hey, they're like literally our halal to haram ratio could be off <laughs> by like <laughs> just a dot. And then they're going to slut shame me. Like, you know so what I mean? And it's just like, oh, and it's so weird because I'll be like, you literally I'll find Muslim men who eat pork. And then right. I'll find Muslim men that don't even do anything. And it's just like such a wide range now that it makes it so hard to navigate. And it's it's not the way it was for our parents. Um, and don't get me started on the double standard. <laughs> I mean, that like, exists. I know. God, I know. I mean, like the same thing that you said, like I know so many Pakistani men that came to America for college and dated some white girl for a few years and then graduated college and then went back to Pakistan and within two months was married to somebody else. Yeah. Like, they, like, the double standards are, are so real for that. And then, like, something that I struggle with, like, as you know, I'm not necessarily in uh, good contact with my family. 
And obviously, like, given how tight-knit our community is and how much we care about family and who everyone knows, to be a Muslim girl without family I can talk about or pictures that I can show people, Muslim people already, like, think I'm a broken girl from a broken home who's not good enough for their son. But in reality, I kind of like fought for my education and independence and I'm more than worthy but it's like little things like that 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 are just make that just push women to be perfect or undesirable there's like no in between I never even thought about that you're so right I think in, in like our sort of like in my culture if my mom met a girl that was dating my brother that didn't have a good relationship with her family, she would see that as a huge red flag, even though it's not necessarily, like, nobody knows how toxic, nobody knows the shit that you went through, nobody knows how toxic things were, you know? Mm -hmm. It's so messed up. It is. Just, like, the entire dynamic of, like, Muslim girls with their sexuality, like, with their dating, um, has caused, like, a lot of just general anxiety and just depression and issues with self-worth in a lot of the Muslim community um, that are just trying to create a life for themselves. Like even on TikTok, I guess, like since I told you, I kind of, yeah. I kind of started dabbling on like brown girl TikTok and literally people are lined up to hate on you. Like I have, like, I, I literally have already gotten comments such as, um, Oh, like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be, uh, you're not a Muslim, like you're gonna go to hell, like being called a slut, like all these things. And the haram police needs to go play traffic. Exactly, the haram, the haram police stays ready. (laughs) They have nothing but time. The haram police is privately funded, but has to be (laughs) privately funded by somebody, dude, because I don't understand how they are so on top of it on every single girl's video. I know. I know. But, um, but yeah. And and you know what's really interesting about that, actually? And this is something I wanted to actually say. Do you, do you feel like, what do you identify as? As, do you Uh, identify as Muslim? I do. I, you know, I always joke and say that I'm like culturally Muslim. (laughs) You know how people say like they're culturally Jewish? Yeah. I really, I do respect Islam a lot, and I respect Muslims, and obviously, like, I grew up with the faith, and if if someone were to ask me, like, what's your religion, I would say probably Muslim, but I don't necessarily uh, conduct myself in a way that people think a Muslim girl girl should, so I don't know. Yeah. It's complicated. What about you? Yeah, like, exactly what you're saying, though, I feel like I understand your energy, because I feel like you essentially feel Muslim, but you've been told that the way that you act isn't, or you've been made to feel that the way that you act is inadequate for right. enough for you to even say that about yourself, right? But you probably feel it, but you probably feel that. And I am in the same boat as you, where people will look at me and probably call me culturally Muslim. But in yeah. my head, I'm Muslim. I grew up with the faith. I, I really respect Islam. I really respect the values. And in general, the values that I believe are important are those same values. And so yeah. something that I thought was was kind of like cool to think about was how many muslim women are there out there that get told that you're not good enough to be a muslim woman you're not muslim and they still despite it all are sitting there and they're like i'm muslim motherfucker 
Like, that's how strong our faith is, that people are berating us nonstop about believing what we believe. And even though everything that they're saying says that we shouldn't even love ourselves because God doesn't even love us, we're sitting here and we're still going, I'm Muslim. It's sad that we have to make that disclaimer, at least that I have to make that disclaimer of like, oh, well, you know, I'm culture, you know what I mean? Because I can't even confidently say I'm Muslim because I, I feel like I'll get backlash. Yeah, you know? and and you and honestly, like when you just said that to me right now, I could tell that you weren't saying you were culturally Muslim because you believed you were culturally Muslim. You were yeah. saying that because you felt like it would be a little bit more socially accepted with who you are yeah. than if you responded more accurately exactly and that's like awful like i feel like the way that we've that the way that this has kind of come down is our society has gate kept it to be so strict and rigid that all like that's why more and more of us are going further from it than trying to make it work for us isn't that isn't that insane like that it's doing exactly the opposite of what people want yeah exactly like I think there's so much, like, work to be done, I guess, like, with these discussions. Um, But I think, like, literally just a few of the things that we've talked about today, like, your experience being a Somali woman in America, me being a Pakistani woman in America, and how our parents' experiences and cultural experiences kind of um, are really, like, similar. I'm sure there's so many other Muslim girls who are modern Muslim girls who like to wear what they want to wear, do what they want to do. Um go on dates if they want to go on dates like there's so many other women who don't have who aren't able to have conversations like this because think about it Baden. like besides you i can't think of any other muslim friends i can have these conversations with like you are my only person like in the united states that understands me and this aspect of you know my um learning about myself and my adulthood like you're the only person i can talk to and then the reason is because it took so many years for us to, to trust each other and like build this relationship where we can talk about sex in a way where we know we're not being judged and we know how we grew up and we know how we feel about it in a way that we can help each other make it a healthier experience for both of us by talking about it you know but they're like yeah. there's so many muslim girls that probably don't have that they're probably too scared to talk to their friends because their parent their friends parents know each other and like think about yeah. how many girls how many muslim Nazi girls are put in situations where they can't stand up for themselves because they don't they don't have platforms or conversations like this or people to to talk about these things I remember when I was in high school, I, I I didn't have many Muslim friends at all. And when I would try to explain to my friends, oh, I can't do this because of my parents, or I can't go here, or I can't go to this party, or I can't wear this dress, nobody would get it, you know? And it was just, it, it made me feel even more ostracized. And yeah. I think that's obviously why we connected so much, because I would just tell you something like, oh, my mom said this, and you would laugh because you automatically knew, whereas other people would be like, what? <laughs> I mean, I think that's the hard part because me and you, we share the same culture and America is such a melting pot that cultural humility um, is becoming more and more of a thing. And something that was a really, really important um, part for like important part thing for me to do with this project was to tell people about the things that are going on in our culture and the things that are going on in the U.S. under their nose and the and, and the kind of like community that we're looking to build um i think for like eastern women for muslim women this is our kind of next come up you know um and so i feel like 
conversations like this are are so important for the young girls in this country, young girls in Muslim countries, like across across the globe, thinking about coming to America. Like these are these are real life things that affect us on the daily. It's so important for like that random girl who's Muslim who lives in like I don't know Kentucky. You know, I know. It's probably just sitting there, and her parents probably make her feel bad, and like for, for literally just wanting to express her sexuality. But we live in a free world now. Have you seen that um, show? Sort of. No. Um, on HBO Max, it's actually about a Pakistani, um, little family in Canada, and they had like the older sister is doing her thing, um. And everything, oh, but I'm Googling it right now. yeah, but but it, it kind of talks about how Pakistani or like just any Eastern immigrant parents come to the U.S. and then they expect their kids to live the way that they did, but their kids are growing up in a free world, and that transition is like is just it, it really kicks your psyche. And for me, like I'm not first generation actually. Like I wasn't born in America. I moved yeah. to America at 18. So I went from like being conditioned to arrange marriage to literally stepping onto a college campus, um, <laughs> which was like a culture shock. Like I, I remember literally my first day at Ohio State, I got off the plane from Asia and literally came to, Amer- came to America and went to a frat party. And in the basement, I saw a stripper pole and I started hyperventilating. I was, Stop, really? I was like, what the hell? There's a stripper pole down here. I'm already <laughs> around stripper. I was like freaking out having a culture shock. Like, right. <laughs> it was crazy. But I always forget that you came here at 18. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> like it's, that's so crazy. Oh, my gosh. I know. It is. But, okay, Baden, I really appreciate you talking to me um, about of all this stuff. Is there anything that you want to share that you feel like is important? Like, what do you, if you could go back and say something to a younger you, if she was listening to this, what do you feel like is important? Because we're, we're all, we're doing it from the heart right now, you know? (laughs) It's been deep. I would say, I mean, honestly, I think something that was, I was very concerned with when I was younger was the fact that my parents I was first generation, you know, they came from Somalia, a war-torn country, they moved here, and they they worked really hard to build a good life for myself and my, my siblings, right? They made so many sacrifices, and I didn't want their sacrifices to be in vain, and I wanted to respect all the sacrifices they made, and so I really stifled a huge part of who I was, and it, I suffered from it. You know, and I'm still suffering from it. And I would, I would just tell myself, like, you can be true to yourself and live an honest life while still respecting your parents and your family and your backgrounds and your values without having this whole, like, this excess. I mean, I feel like from the ages of 16 to 22, my life was in shambles because I literally just did not know how to, how to navigate life as a Somali Muslim girl living in the West, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I would say, like, to myself, just be true to yourself. Life is short. You're gonna die one day. <laughs> <laughs> the only fact of life. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the only person that you have to make happy is yourself. I while still being, while still honoring your family. Yeah. You know? It doesn't have to be one or the other. I think. Yeah, and I think that's so important because I 
like like I said, I can't necessarily relate to because my parents didn't really like come here to give me everything. I kind of came here to give myself yeah. everything, but and we have to talk about that on another like yeah no. yeah. Oh, you're you're gonna be back, but what <laughs> like what but exactly like what you said. I didn't even think about that. There's probably so many not just Somali like Muslim women, but so many immigrant children in general that yeah. probably feel that way. Like oh my my family came here to give me everything. I have to be an engineer. I have to be a doctor. I have to do this whatever. But right. that that's that's probably something that caused causes so much unnecessary like stress and anxiety for kids so I think that's actually such a like insightful um piece of advice to say to to stay true to yourself even like while acknowledging oh sorry go ahead just saying just kind of acknowledging that what your parents did for you but also giving yourself the importance to acknowledge what you want to give yourself like that is that is like such a huge thing I think for immigrant children and it's such a hard line to, like, walk across, you know? Yeah. But I was going to say, your point of view is, like, very unique, I feel. It's unique, but also very, I think it resonates with a lot of girls, but I also think the fact that you came here at 18, like, you literally built a life for yourself from scratch is so interesting. We have to talk about that in the next No, we definitely do. And I also think it's interesting because, like I said, like you being first generation American, but me being the immigrant myself, it's also weird because there's probably some things I relate to your parents more than you about some things because of that. Huh? I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and I think about it. I was like, I'm kind of in, in, in between where it's like a lot of my classmates are like, their parents were the ones that came here, but I'm I'm like, you know, I'm part of the generation of like women who are seeking their independence and moving out of their countries. It's kind of like a different wave of immigrant, like immigration is kind of how I view it. I feel like we have so much to talk about. I know we do. We really do. But okay. Thank you Thank so you much, Damon. I love you so much. I miss you. I love you so much. You know, you're. I always think about you. I love you. I hope you're doing well. Call me soon. Thanks for listening, guys. That was my friend Baden. And I mentioned that we met each other in college and we went to Ohio State together and we were one of the only two uh, POC girls in our sorority. And that's why our friendship has stayed so strong for so long. Um, But that's kind of the content I wanted to really put out for you guys. I was experimenting with, you know, Um, Muslim women, POC women, kind of being the first in their families to go through new experiences and live their best life. Baden is now actually a whole model in New York and like living her best life too. And so I wanted to showcase how um, a lot of the women in our demographic are breaking out of the shells that we were forced to put be put in when we were growing up and how we're choosing to make our own decisions and live life the way we want to. So I hope that you guys stay tuned. There's more of this coming. But yeah, thanks for listening to Bitch from Pakistan. See you guys soon. Bitch from Pakistan, what up?